0: Reading from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, And sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sally and I enjoy our children coming to us and saying, did you know that? When they were younger, they would fill in the blank with something that pretty much everyone knows. But we would pretend to be astounded at this new discovery that they had made. Nowadays, we don't have to pretend as often. They are teaching us things regularly. New to them, new to us, but not new to whoever told them. What they are learning and sharing are not actual discoveries, just news to our family. Somebody already knew what they learned. For the most part, and this is certainly true when it comes to human interaction, there is nothing new under the sun. We may think we're discovering something, but it's almost always been done or been thought before. And so it goes with our generation's obsession with getting a little bit more, doing a little bit more, being a little bit more. We've inherited and learned from those before us this sense that we're this close to having it all worked out. And if we'll just push a little bit more, we'll get there. Maybe that mentality... Helped humanity put a man on the moon and run a four-minute mile, but has also placed plenty of people in despair. The, I'm almost there, I can achieve it, I can get a little more, I can do a little bit more, I can be a little more mentality has been a stumbling block when it comes to overall peace, including our relationship with God. It's true in our day. It's true in Paul's and Jesus' day, and I'm sure in Elijah's and Moses' and Abraham's days, when we think that with just a little bit more we can save ourselves, we have trouble accepting that we need a Savior. As long as we're in a quest for a bit more something, more signs, more wisdom, to finally prove God. We will not find peace. Paul complains in 1 Corinthians that his people, the Jews, wanted more signs. They wanted more indications that God was manifest in Jesus Christ. As someone who had been certain that God was not manifest in Jesus and then saw the light, it was maddening to Paul that he could not persuade those who demanded more proof. Jesus could relate. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, the disciples and Jesus are near the Sea of Galilee. 5,000 people are listening to him. Jesus thinks of the crowds, has compassion for them, decides that he wants to feed those 5,000 and thankfully five fish and two loaves. Did I have that right? It's five of which five loaves and two fish (laughs) was able to do it. Now you would think that those five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000 would make an impression. But by the time Jesus and the disciples had crossed the sea and climbed a hill, another crowd, this time 4,000 people, are there hungry and Jesus has compassion and he wants to feed them and the disciples dare to say, How Can we feed so many? That's chapter 15. Next scene, next chapter, the Sadducees and Pharisees demand a sign from Jesus. A sign from Jesus. Apparently they had not seen enough. Meanwhile, the disciples are concerned because they think Jesus is annoyed with them for having not remembered to bring the bread. Jesus surely thought, There can never be enough signs. And don't these disciples realize that when I need bread, I can find bread. Signs won't do it. More signs won't do it. Even those with immediate access to the most convincing signs were slow to be convinced. And some never were. And those with immediate access to the most compelling wisdom weren't easily convinced either, because some of Jesus' wisdom appeared to them to be very unwise. There may be very little that is new under the sun, but the idea that God would save us through death on a cross was quite new, quite unexpected, and quite unbelievable. The worldly wise wanted from Jesus some more tips on how to live a better life, how to help them get over the hump. And instead, the wisdom and power of God included crucifixion for all Jesus' compelling teachings. There were parts that were not well received, parts that were hard, none harder than the cross. If you are convinced that you can think your way out of sin and death, become wise enough to outsmart the pain and sorrow and brokenness of this world, just get a little more wisdom and do a little bit more and and life will fall into place for you, then you can't see in the cross anything besides defeat. The wisdom of the world says that One who died ignobly on a cross is an embarrassment. He didn't try hard enough. He didn't do well enough. He failed and his unwise path failed with him. So there must be a better way, a wiser way. Avoid his way. If you were to prove Jesus to the Gentiles, he would need more of their kind of wisdom. And if you were to prove Jesus to the Jews, he'd need more signs. And therein lies the problem. We can't prove Jesus any more than we could prove God. You can rightly claim this is my experience with God, but the skeptic is always going to wonder, is that not just what you want your experience with God to be? If our faith is dependent on signs, and we will always be putting God to the test. And as soon as he passes one, he fed 5,000. Then there is another delay before him. Yeah, well, that was yesterday. What about the 4,000 today? Well, we try our best to best worldly wisdom with our philosophies. We have Pascal's wager. If you bet that God exists and you're right, you win. If you bet that God exists and you're wrong, Well, how much have you really lost? If you bet God exists, doesn't exist, and you're wrong, well, you lose big, big. But something tells us, something deep inside us tells us that a self-serving wager about the possibility of God's existence isn't quite the relationship Jesus has in mind. And anyway, there will always be those who come to the opposite conclusion. We're not going to prove our way into faith because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And when it comes to faith in God, it's formed in relationship. Not in a sufficient quantity of proofs, or in a perfectly crafted logic, which is why the cross is wisdom to those who follow Jesus, who are in a relationship with Jesus, and is foolishness to those who are not. We claim that God Almighty lived as a man and was killed on a cross. Now, of course, we are quick to add, and rose on the third day and ascended into heaven, but we've already lost the worldly wise by by then. If they've made it past, God was born in the flesh. They did not get past and was killed. What kind of God can be killed? We have our response. The kind who is obedient. Obedient to whom, they wonder, what kind of justice is that? Obedient to the laws of God, we say. Well, if God made those laws, can't God override them? On and on we go, arguing. So we try another tact. The kind of God who can be killed is the kind of God who loves us enough to be willing to be killed. Wouldn't loving you mean staying with you? Fighting for you? Winning for you? Not losing on a cross? Well, you see, He won in His resurrection. Oh, did He? This is what resurrection looks like. This is what victory looks like. Hunger. War. Division. And on and on the argument goes. If you like those kind of arguments, there are plenty of writers putting out plenty of books on how to answer every rebuttal that you receive. And like a war of attrition, you or your opponent can claim victory when the other is too exhausted or too angry or too confused to keep arguing. But I'm not engaging in that. I'd rather spend my time with people who cannot defeat wisdom, the wisdom of this world, but trust that they don't have to because God has, regardless of whether we can fully explain how or explain it in a way that convinces another. I'd rather spend my time with people who understand that a rough-hewn cross is a universal symbol of God's willingness to enter into the worst of what we can go through in this life and remain with us through all that we go through in this life. I'd rather spend my time with people who see in the cross a God who is not going to overcome every adversary as if they are all pharaohs or caesars and who doesn't expect god to give them eloquent wisdom every time they seek to get into a debate with another but instead sees in the cross humility and compassion and love and forgiveness and lives those virtues in ways that diffuse the debate which in turn makes their argument for Jesus all the more compelling. I'd rather spend my time with people who recognize in the cross that it calls to itself those who are weak in power and influence and mind and body and spirit and puts them right alongside those who have some strength and power and influence and mind and body and strength and says, There. You follow Jesus? This is what you get. You get each other. You're in this together now. You help each other because your victory is not dependent upon the strongest among you, but on the strength that I have shown to the weakest parts of each of you. The cross will not be a sign of, Power or wisdom to those who believe that victory is found in crushing every enemy be it by more signs or by wisdom the cross will only be a sign of power and wisdom when in the likeness of the one who went to the cross we are compelled to love our enemies and aid our neighbors wherever they may be That will be hard to do if our motivation is to get more and be more and do more. But if by the grace of God we come to believe that God has done all that is necessary and we're simply called to follow Him, to be Christ's representative in the world, the wisdom and power of the cross will be reflected in us And our faith will be ever more compelling, maybe even convincing. May God make it so.